0: Hi, I'm Ulysses, and you are listening to Music, Meaning, and Mystery Podcast. This podcast is a pilgrimage to the meaning and mystery of music, and I'm glad you've come along. Today we have a conversation with Tim Woody. Tim is a musician, and he also has a recording studio called Knox Philharmonic. Tim and his studio are currently in the running to receive a grant which would greatly help his studio and his business grow. Tim talks about this in the podcast. I've also provided information in the show notes about this. I would love it if you followed the links where you can vote for Tim to receive this grant. The deadline for voting is February 21. Let's show him some love. And see if we can get him and his studio to the next level. So, I have, I'm going to say two questions. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me roughly how your musical journey began and if it has any correlation with the length of your beard. <laughs>
1: nice. Yeah. Um. So, I. My musical journey began incredibly early on, uh, in a sense, because that's generally the way it is for us, right? Um, uh, I like to think that my my first kind of, I would say my earliest musical memory is um, being in my parents' living room as a toddler and um, wildly dancing around the room to uh, Please Please Me, um, the uh, Beatles record. Uh, then um, my, my I would say like my beginning as a musician was uh, probably a year or two later sitting at my parents piano um, and just hitting like I couldn't play it. Um, I'm not one of those composers who like, you know, at the age of four heard something on the radio and then boom, played it and blew their parents away. But I was just like hitting random keys together and being like, wow, what, what is what is this interval? It sounds like it sounds like Western music to me. It sounds like, it sounds like cowboys. Um, and just, just kind of, you know, experiencing it as this, you know, wild mystery that I just get to like play with this instrument and see what, see what's going on with it. Um, I, uh, I went to music school, um, and uh, studied composition and classical guitar. Um, but, uh, I would I would say that like my journey ties in with the length of my beard mostly after music school um, right right after I graduated in um, 2014 in the fall of 2014 uh, the following spring season I um, uh, set out on a on a through hike of the Appalachian Trail which is a um, 2,000 mile footpath that runs from Georgia up to Maine and uh, it, it took me six months um, and and uh, I don't really understand why, but um, a whole bunch of things that I tried to learn in music school that just never really clicked for me, It, not because of, um, definitely not my teacher's fault, it was, it was entirely my kind of uh, blockages towards connecting with what I really would find valuable later on. Um, something about being in the woods cleared out a bunch of that stuff. And it was like, I came out of the woods with this completely altered set of priorities of like what... What music meant to me and what I wanted my path through music to be, um, and so uh, the beard kept growing. <laughs> After that, I did another trail um, in uh, 2017. I did most of the Pacific Crest Trail. I missed about eight hundred. I missed about seven to eight hundred miles of it because of um, the, the 2017 wildfire season. Um, But uh, that one was even more disruptive uh, to me musically. And I, you know, I was like writing songs in the woods. I I couldn't really write them down. So I was just like singing to myself all the time and listening, um, you know, listening to the wind and the sage grass, listening to the, you know, jackrabbits dancing across the sand. Um, And uh, somehow, like after, after coming back from the PCT and landing back in Knoxville, it was like... I had all of all of these kinds of music that I thought had been kind of closed off to me were like, just suddenly wide, widely open. And um, yeah, I would, I would say like at this point, the the kinds of the kinds of music I enjoy the kinds of things I care about the most would be like recognizable to to me back as a college musician, you know, all those years ago, but he would be very surprised <laughs> that this is kind of where I've landed.
0: So changing the place you are in had an effect on what kinds of music resonated with you.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? It I don't know that it changed what kind of resonates with me. I think it changed my own ability to access the resonance. I think that before that point, my interaction with music was playing out some priorities that really. I mean, like, just to be blunt about it, some priorities that don't serve music very well, right? Like, um, so as a composer, for instance, um, I spent a lot of my time in school trying to write these, like, exploratory or more uh, postmodern or post-postmodern, like, disintegrated pieces. I would write a lot of, like, atonality or um, parody style pieces, um, which... I love. I still love that kind of music, but I suspect that I was writing those things because I thought that I was supposed to fill out this role of the young revolutionary composer, uh, and I don't. Th- I don't think that I am the young revolutionary. Comp- I mean, like I'm not going to be young by I- anyone's estimations for much longer. So like, that role was really getting in the way of the kinds of music, like, I I think that, like, in my quiet moments, even in college, I just wanted to sit around and listen to Debussy and, like, you know, watch Disney films and, like, listen to John Williams scores, Um, that it was more about the, like, the romance and the enjoyment and the the enchantment um, through sound. And I felt, like, somehow guilty uh, as a younger composer, engaging with that. I felt like it was, um, mostly because like I and other composers would shit talk it all the time. (laughs) Like it's like sentimental or soft or mushy. And I think that like, I think that being out in the woods, um, taught me what it means to enjoy something. It taught me what satisfaction feels like. Um, and it also, I mean, like, you know, everyone talks about I would say most folks who've done extended trips in the wilderness talk about the confrontation that inevitably happens with yourself, that you, there's no, there's nowhere to hide from the person that you actually are. So you have to kind of confront all of it. And a lot of that would have been, you know, confronting things that I'm not as comfortable with in myself, these kind of shadow side things. It also meant confronting some of the good things, like uh, maybe it's nice that I have a sentimental capacity, maybe it's nice that I can be enchanted um, by music and that I, Love the romance. Um, yeah, there's there's honestly a whole a whole trail leading away from that, but I think we can we can allow it to kind of unspool itself in time.
0: It, it, let let me be more down to earth about it. Is the music traditional music of Appalachia something that's now emerging from your work? ah
1: yeah that's a really cool question um and and it's 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 really cool because it's a definite yes or no answer um I think that like what we conceive of as being the appalachian music which would basically be like trad um you know mountain music bluegrass folk tunes these kinds of things i um I wouldn't say that i'm I don't think that's a good characterization of what I'm doing, because um, I mean, honestly, it's not. I I don't really play that much. Um, I'm sometimes considered to be a folk musician, but I don't I don't think of myself that way. And I know a whole bunch of like mighty fine bluegrass players um, and folks doing mountain music, and that it feels to me like they're holding down that world um, so well that it, for me I can just enjoy it. I don't really have to be a contributing member of that. What I do think though is that there are. There's a connection to melody that is that's being held by those mountains, Um, and like the melodic sensitivity of the Appalachian music is is hugely important to me, Um, and likewise, um, you know, we may get into this further at some point. um, The church music of of um, like there's a there's a really rich hymn singing and shape note singing tradition that runs all the way up those mountains. And to me, um, I find that um, a lot of the old hymns have this melodic sensibility that has this spaciousness, this elegance, this um, immersive kind of delicious quality that is, um, at least at the synesthetic level, like walking around this mountainside and finding a finding a, a spring that's coming right out of the mountain and drinking this ice cold water, um, you know, or finding a cabin in the woods where a lady's running a hostel and, you know, knocking on the door and having a conversation with her. It um Yeah, I guess that it's like insofar as that music is just richly pregnant with romance and and my priority has been to to find that enchanting music. I think, that's, I think that's the connection between the mountains and the, kind of, and the kind of music that I've gotten into.
0: Right. I understand. So it's not like a genre thing, it's influenced by the spirit behind those musical traditions.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's a good way of putting it.
0: Yeah. Can you tell me a specific musical story from your time uh, on those trails? So, um,
1: and this actually oddly is kind of right in the pocket, um, of the folk music. But, uh, when I was on the AT on, um, the Appalachian trail, there were a couple of, um, uh, there's some, I mean, there are just gorgeous mountain ranges all over, all over that trail. Uh, the mountain ranges of the North in particular are kind of what, um, uh, there's sort of the crown and glory of the trail, but, um, there are some really nice places down South too. Uh, and one of, one of my favorites, one of the ones that's, um, been with me the longest, even post hike, um, is, um, the Rhone Highlands in uh, the kind of Rhone Mountain neighborhood of, um, Eastern Tennessee. And it's this, I mean, it, it, (laughs) um, in true Appalachian-like mountain person form, because this is where my family comes from, um, I'm going to make a facetious comparison to a European mountain range. It's it's like a it's just for some reason a thing people do here. We're like, oh, it looks just like Ireland. Uh, it does though. When you're up in the Rhone Highlands, you you lose your sense of place being in a in an American countryside. Um, the way that we've sort of branded it, that this is American, it's not European, it's not conversant with the same tradition. Um, in the Rhone Highlands, you have these high, soaring, grassy, um, grassy knobs. It's a bunch of like rolling hills up at about 4000 feet, which is, is pretty high for, um, for the southeast. And um, you can see, you know, for 100 miles in any direction and uh i just want, i have a memory of being um just overcome with the the delicious feeling of being up on that mountain range and i sang um i was just walking up the hill and i sang uh lilio which is a folk song i think it's actually a pennsylvania like maybe a pennsylvania dutch uh, folk song um yeah. i i learned it after hearing it on um sam amadon's um EP, which is, I think is also called, uh, Lilio. Um, and it's, it's a, it's like a 10 verse murder ballad in which a, um, in which a young lady, uh, tries to leave her family to marry the man she loves and her, uh, her, her jealous brother, uh, kills her on the wedding day. And, um, after her brother has stabbed her, they carry her up to a green hilltop and she writes her will there for them in song. Um, and I just like sang it and, uh, This feels significant to me because um, these days when I'm out in the wilderness, I try to sing to like, well, I don't even have to be that far out. I just go to the park and I sing to the trees or sing to the river, sing to the grass or whatever um, as a sort of a display of like honor and welcome um, as a musical offering as it were. But I wasn't really doing that back then at this point in my life. And just that that lined up so perfectly. Um, And at at the very end of the tune, the very end of that song, um, they've, have been asking her, what, what are you going to leave to all these members of your family? And that they get to her brother who's just murdered her. And she says, I, I leave him the rope in the gallows to hang from. I leave his wife pain and sorrow for all of her life. And they say, what do you leave to your brother's son? And she says, I leave this great wide world to wander upon. And I sang those words. And it was like my perspective lifted up. And I saw myself as this tiny little speck walking up cross the back of these great you know almost like turtle backs like great green mounds of earth up at up at elevation um feeling the trail stretching in front of me um might as well have been infinitely in front of me the trail that I'd already walked stretching back behind me um and just like I mean that's the um I think that's significant because that sort of that lift, that perspective lift, that singing that song in that moment allowed allowed me to enjoy, I feel like it's basically a direct elevation into what it is to be a mountain, right? That like, that, that it's this expansive, long process of time, expansive integration with all of the landscape around you. Um, and honestly, I mean, every, now, ever since that time, every time I sing that song or every time I think about it, I don't really even have to try. That's that's the moment that it evokes for me. That's where I immediately go, is to being up on the Rhone Highlands and just feeling space spread out and feeling my own awareness just kind of spread out to blanket the terrain. It's a beautiful song. by uh, The um, Sam Amadon recording is really, really good, by the way. Um Uh, if you're looking for something to listen to.
0: In your musical profession, are you able to take a little bit of that magic and sprinkle it on the more mundane projects that you maybe work on?
1: You know, I hope that it is the integral part of all of the music work that I do. Um, And, uh, you know, I mean, at this point, it's in a couple of different realms. I've got the studio thing, um, my studio Knox Philharmonic, which is primarily doing orchestral pop music, um, a lot of kind of retro tunes or uh, orchestral arrangements of new songwriters work. Um, And then also I'm I'm a church musician, um, church uh, music director. And um, you know, I I try to approach every every tune, um, whether I'm, you know, doing some um doing a reharmonization of a of a classic hymn or arranging, you know, a Gershwin tune or arranging a songwriter's work, that uh I try to approach it with the understanding that this song, that this melody has a gift that it's here to give us. Um it has, it has something it's here to evoke. It has a presence that it's here to evoke. And, it, and it's not going to be, like, my, my work as an arranger is not to evoke it once and for all time as the be-all, end-all expression of what this tune is supposed to be. But I do think it's my job to find, to find that spirit, to connect with that spirit, and then do the work that serves the evocation of that spirit as well as I can. Um, I think like an example from the church, from the church music, um, is, um, one, one of my favorite classic hymns is, uh, um, just a closer walk with thee. I don't know if you're familiar with that one at all. Um, so, uh, it's, um, you know, traditionally it would be done with piano or organ, very block chords, kind of a chorale, you know, it sounds like church singing, just a closer walk with thee, you know, very like high brow kind of um, starched collar kind of feeling to it. Uh, I took the melody, I didn't, I, I, I never change anything in the melody, um, for the most part, occasionally I'll make some you know, like make a tag or something. But I kept the melody exactly the same. I actually really didn't even change the harmony too much on that one, but I changed the rhythmic feel underneath it to give it a sort of a um begin so that it f- it feels like you're walking, right? It's it's just a closer walk with thee. And like having that groove underneath it, I didn't even have to speed it up. It's still the melody still moves slowly, but it now has a walking a walking groove to it a walking tempo and when the chord changes that instead of being done on the block chords on the piano or done on the guitar with that kind of bouncy groove to it it is it's just like a smile factory um you know and like that's what that's what I believe that tune is supposed to feel like. I mean, like, you know, supposed to feel like it can feel like whatever. But like, that to me is the gift that that tune gave to me when I first connected with it, that it could be something other than what I was familiar with it as. Um, and so it was like I had, it was, a, it was a little bit of a bold move, but like once the move was made, I, to me, that is how I, that's like almost the only way I relate to that tune at this point is that it's... um it's this joyful, it's like, it's somehow both joyful and plodding, right? It is kind of slowly plodding forward, but it's, you know, it's like, yeah, slowly walking up a hill and s- smiling and laughing because you know, you know, you're going to make it to the top, even if it's getting tough.
0: Why do we use music to worship when mm-hmm. we could be doing anything? Yeah
1: cool yeah I, that's such a wonderful wonderful full question yeah i so i would like to kind of preface this by saying that um the church the where i am the music director is um the denomination disciples of christ it's uh, north side christian church disciples and uh, disciples of christ are um liberal reformed presbyterians from um a few hundred years ago uh, the Presbyterian Church split. Um, you had the Church of Christ um, was the conservative branch of that split. Assembly of God was the centrist branch, and then um, Disciples were the like crazy liberal abolitionist um, folks. And uh, they've they've um, they've pretty well stuck to that um, through the centuries, and uh, they're, they have the distinction of having almost no doctrine um like they, they they don't really have a doctrine or a creed uh because they don't believe in doctrine or creed so it, it opened up some interesting possibilities to be to to be working in a disciples church and to be worshiping with these folks because um there 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 weren't all of these doctrinal obstacles um directing us towards the music being one thing or another um also though I don't know if you know anything about Presbyterians. They're they're sometimes known as the frozen chosen because they uh they sit in their pews and they don't they don't really move. <laughs> they're they're not very outwardly demonstrative. Um, and uh, though Disciples is definitely a hair down kind of denomination, um, they still are that way. This it's less that they're tight laced than that they're just kind of too chill to, you know, get up and raise the hands and and clap and stuff. Um, uh, which like i mean i'm a super, i'm a pretty chill person so i kind of identify with that anyway what i think is really neat about that is that um you know this question why why music why is it a necessary part of a worship service um it it became a rather pointed question because the typical answer didn't apply for didn't apply for my church right i would say that like over the last hundred years we've seen it be increasingly the case that music is the um is the social lubricant for a worship service, and it's the ritual cue right that it basically it basically programizes a worship service um and with the christian contemporary music the kind of um you know Kala of the modern pop worship music um it's designed to be immediately comprehensible and sung even in like a festival setting so it's like it's supposed to fulfill the role of giving a communal. Uh, uh, it's it facilitates the communal engagement and it gives cues for where emotional catharsis is supposed to happen in the service. Uh, to me, that's an inherently utilitarian way to be thinking of music, and I don't. I'm 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 post-utility. I hope I don't think the music is a commodity or utility. Uh, and in the case of the disciples of Christ, in the in the in the case of of my church there was never going to be that communal emotional catharsis that we're driving towards with the with the contemporary worship music, right? No one's going to get out of their seats and rush the aisle. Um, so I don't even need to, I don't even need to, that, that ceases to be a utility that we need to make use of. Um, and I found that instead, what the music was there to do was to, um, and I mean, this is I admit this is a little bit bold. This is a kind of a bold wording. Um, I'm not going to express it as explicitly as I could. Um, it's there to evoke the presence. Um, and, uh, you know, it does it does that by its own virtue. I, I think, like, another version of your question is why why one kind of music as opposed to another? Why a specific sort of music? Um, you know, I, I think that, like, what I've found is that we need when when we come to church and when we when we wish to have an encounter with the divine and to get this communal expression of an encounter of the divine, um, we we it seems like we need to feel that this encounter is happening across several different avenues. I think that it's essentially like emotional, vectors and all that's kind of abstract to give this a more concrete uh expression um someone comes to church and they're in they're in a state of mourning this has happened a whole whole lot recently especially over the last couple years um and we we have an older church congregation and so you know we do we do lose congregation members um and just with the brutal astrological weather we've been enjoying over the last year it's it's been you know it's been pretty somber and serious several times so someone comes to church with mourning in their heart. And um, if, I know, if I know that it, um, some, sometimes I'll realize that this is going on and I'll actually change the program um, on the fly because I feel that what we need to do right now is sing Swing Low Sweet Chariot or Swing It Is Well With My Soul, um, sing these tunes that allow us to encounter the divine through mourning and through melancholy. Um, it, opens up a, it opens up a contemplative space, but it's not doing that in a utilitarian fashion, right? It's not like I have a tool to make you contemplative and I will now inflict it upon you. It's like it frames the contemplative space. It creates a common surface for us to encounter the divine respect of melancholy, to approach divine comfort. Likewise, once we've done that, um, maybe even within the same service, um we need to encounter the you know we need to encounter things like justice and hope and strength all of these divine qualities that are vital to leaving the state of mourning behind in a healthy way um so then we do some upbeat gospel tunes um uh, what was uh okay <laughs> i am um, i'm also a little bit notorious for bringing in secular music into the worship service uh because i think it does the, it does the same thing if, if it's a good enough song you know uh this one's kind of on the line it's um come on get happy the old um harold arlen tune um sing hallelujah come on get happy uh <laughs> and it's just like it's it's a little bit silly there's a, something a little bit tongue-in-cheek but it's this like upbeat gospel kind of jump and uh, that, to me, that direct evocation of joy that we experience when we all stand up and sing that tune together um, is evoking the presence, is evoking the joyful presence. Um, and, and maybe, and, and also I suspect it's evoking the spirit of the community. Uh, in, in the case of an old denomination and an old church like Northside, Um, that becomes incredibly important, especially when you consider that the vast majority of the congregation over time is no longer in the living world that most of them have crossed over. And we are standing up, and when we stand and sing these songs together, we're not only evoking spirits of divinity or approaching contemplative space for ourselves, we're connecting to the presence of the true congregation, of the congregation that is on the other side of the veil. Um, And like, I mean, I've had moments where I've, sung a certain hymn and in the church and just felt like there's some there's just some excitement that's glowing up in the ceiling like like the you know the spirits of our loved departed are here singing the song with us. Um, that was kind of a very lengthy answer, but I think I think that I think I hope I hope that sort of gets towards
0: it. I've always gotten the impression from my very first encounters with music that it was not listening. It was traveling.
1: It's, yeah, like a, a pathway, you know, um, again, to be, and I think this is why it's like I almost can't express, I, I actually cannot express concisely how important trail life is to my understanding of music. Um, but I, I think I think another, another nice way, you know, like I was talking about a common surface. Um, we talk about um, fumigatory herbs being a common surface, right? Or like in we don't even have to go go that route with it. Um the sense of smell, right? Like um if you've ever smelled a perfume that you th- the moment that you smell it, you realize this is the perfume that your great grandmother wore and you haven't smelled it since since she died. And in this moment of smelling the perfume, you feel close to her. Um yeah, I think I think the music I think the music is like that. I think it's actually strikingly similar. Again, they don't do the same things in the same way, you know, synth um, and sound, but that ineffability I think is there. Um, and in just the same way that, like, yeah, appropriate. If you wanted, if you wanted to use smells to um, evoke certain elements of time past. It doesn't. It doesn't become a utility thing. You're choosing specific smells because those are the ones that lived there. That those are the ones that lived there in that time, um, and that then, yeah, and you know, in in that sense, it's like you have you have the memory or the past, and you have you in the present, and there's this gap between them, and the that aroma exists in both, and so you get to have both overlaid upon one another. Um, Music being fundamentally made of time um, means that in order to experience it, the music is present within your time. But as you experience it, you are literally experiencing time, a a package of time that was crafted in some other time and that has had a journey through time to find its way to you. And all of those things get baked into the presence of the music as you experience it. Yeah. Yeah so like is it is is it a vehicle like it's yeah it's it's like a vehicle, but it's perhaps more that it's a it's a yeah, it's a fluid connection, it's a common surface um it's a pathway
0: I've been trying to remember lately this realization I had that hearing and probably every sense we have is actually a sense of touch a refined sense of touch so when you hear something you're touching the vibrations your your ear is a touch organ that's sensing what the mm-hmm. vibration is saying and taste is you're touching the chemi- chemical elements of food and even your eyesight it's it's you're touching the nature of light I would say that touching is the most intimate sense that we use. So, if music yeah. is what we suspect it is, as we've been discussing, then it's it's an extraordinarily intimate encounter.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. I um, <laughs> and uh, there's a wonderful T.S. Eliot quote from um, the Four Quartets. I think it's the third quartet, um, "Little Gidding." Um, where he says, um, you are the music while the music lasts. Um, and like, yeah, it's the, it's, it's immersion in some sort of, in some sort of time, right? Like a time that is, it's you know, um, we think about like time pockets or like in the, the ritual, um, um, like a Greek Orthodox ri- um, church ritual framework, every single Sunday is every single Sunday that when we access Sunday, we're accessing the one and only Sunday. Um, when we access this music, we are being submerged or intimately touching Dom as as you were expressing it, uh, you know, intimately touching this this other time, this music time. Um, yeah. I think it's neat too that like our experience of music, and I mean I I don't mean it's it's obviously it's not monolithic. It's quite the opposite. Um, So if I could limit that statement a little bit further, uh, our experience of what we would maybe call the Western musics, um, that that's kind of a silly term, uh, but um, you know, music derived from the tonal systems, melodic music, um, you know, melodic and harmony based music. Music that's very into the um, succession of things, succession of musical elements. For me, the the direct and intimate experience of it is virtually indistinguishable from directly experiencing an intense state of any other sort, um, an intense emotional state, an intense um, feeling of connection. Um, you know that, like, I think that that story I opened with from the Appalachian Trail was a musical state, a musical expansive state. Um, yeah. It so in that sense, it's like we are. <laughs> music is made of the same stuff that we're made of. Um, that our our personage, limited as that may be to focus on, is is made up of these of these shiftings of, of the of, of of thoughts and motion and emotion and insight in in a way that it that if if I could reach into a person and I mean I, I suppose I can in a way, but like if I could just reach into a person and, and directly experience their internal life as intimately as I experience my own, I think it would feel a whole hell of a lot like disappearing into a piece of music.
0: So, what are you working on lately?
1: Cool, yeah. Uh, The big thing right now is um, I've been um, uh, so I've had I've had some projects on the backlog for 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 quite a while at this point, and um, they're finally getting front and center. My um, studio uh, at, at this point is called Knox Philharmonic. That's K N O X, and then Philharmonic, like a Philharmonic orchestra. Um, we are uh, we're a music studio. We're also a studio orchestra and a video uh, production company. And um, what what we're doing is um, so I'm a, you know a composer and arranger. We've um, thus far we've kind of begun with do, doing this for some classic pop tunes. We take a song, we give it a a lush orchestral arrangement, or a lush big band arrangement, or um, some other, you know, proto-orchestral ensemble, perhaps. Uh, We bring in a a great vocalist, we maybe bring in a great guitar player if we need a guitar solo in there, and we we do a big old piece of music. Um, We cut the track, we make a video for it. And uh, we're we're right at the stage now where um we're because we're um, in this grant competition we're looking for funding to really ramp up the production schedule, uh, our our videos um and our, and our tracks um that well our tracks that are done are still in the pre-release stage and um, we're kind of moving into the video production stage for the first few of them. Um, that's uh you know that's 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 been a really huge thing um for me. Personally, one because I I love the I love the orchestra very deeply. It's um, I would say it's maybe it's the music that's most precious to me is like this um, heritage orchestral sound and um, the classical music and the pop music that's been made with it. Uh, and it's pretty hard to, it's pretty hard for a composer to get their hands on an on a on a live orchestra. Um, it It's always been hard. It's become almost impossible over the last kind of fifteen years or so, Um, and I realized that uh, that um, I needed that. If I was the one who recognized that as a problem, then it looked like it was up to me to make that a solution. uh, To it it looked like it was up to me to find a way to meet that need, and it just so happened that um, this. Uh, impulse came at a time when, when gig life was closing down um, pretty decisively. Uh, Knoxville has not had. Um, Knoxville kept running uh, at, at some times when other places were closed down, but we still had a bunch of closures in, in 2020 in particular. Um, you know, gigs were being canceled, but in particular, the Symphony Orchestra season, the Knox Symphony Orchestra uh, canceled for 2020 and much of 2021. So all of those orchestral musicians were out of work. Um, well, they were out of their main job. Uh, and like, um, I was just recognizing that plenty of them had the acumen. They were, you know, good enough musicians that they could do other things as well. Um, they could find other ways to uh, stay active as a musician, but this beautiful rich skill set that they'd cultivated, um, was no longer real. It wasn't really able to be served any longer because they didn't have the orchestra available to them. Um, and then likewise, you know, I knew some recording artists who were interested in the sound, but they weren't really ready to, you know, pull the trigger with um, the kind of funding it would take to do that on their own or. Um, You know, maybe they wanted to experience it with some classic tunes before they took the dive on one of their own tunes, having this sound. And so it became this wonderful intersection where I, as a composer, got to pursue my own satisfaction. Out of work, orchestral musicians were able to continue to make orchestral music and to be paid for it and to be satisfied with what they made. And then artists, um, you know, singers and songwriters... Uh, were able to to sing with an ensemble that they had never gotten to sing with before. Almost I, very, very few vocalists in this day and age get to sing with a large ensemble. Uh, and so just like finding, finding my way to make this feasible. Uh, and, you know, we rely on studio techniques. I also, um, uh, especially during the closures, I was doing some of this, I was recording remotely. I was shipping a microphone and a capture box across the country um, to get folks parts recorded or I would have them come into my studio one at a time and then we would stitch it all together um, one one instrument uh, at a time um, which uh, you know is is a touch is a tad tedious but it's it turns out to be way more economically feasible than um, recording, Full ensemble orchestral music in America, and honestly, even more financially um, feasible than, you know, kind of central and eastern Europe has a decent. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's it's not great for the musicians. It's much cheaper to have a studio orchestra in eastern and central Europe record your stuff than an American or North American one. Um, but uh, this this let us do it in a financially feasible way where everyone was benefiting from it. Um, and we had a good product, and we got to hit this niche that has been very underserved. Um, so that's that's the project. At the moment, we're currently in a grant competition for the Knoxville Entrepreneurship Center. Uh, they have a grant competition called um, What's the Big Idea? We, uh, we made it through with our grant application, and we're now in the second round, which is um, uh, public voting and the judges will take the public vote into account. It's not decisive, um, but then the judges will make their own uh, decision based on what they see and bring five people through to the final round, which is like a Shark Tank-style pitch to the um, investors uh, competition. And the winner will get um, the winner will get ten thousand dollars and um, coaching um, from the KEC. So uh, we've been, you know, trying to get the vote out for that. The vote is open until uh, Monday, February twenty-first at um, at uh, midnight. It closes. Um, so I, w- I will say we can, um, you know, put that link up if you'd like. It's just uh, bigidea.nox.com. You can watch Knox Philharmonics video, and then um, you can click cast cast my ballot to go through a checklist and um, and click us in there. Uh, that's that's been a that's been um, that's been the main thrust certainly for the last couple months. It's, it's been a couple years in the making to kind of get to this point though.
0: So traditional closing question, what should people listen to?
1: There's, there's definitely a way to, 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 to answer this without just throwing out some recommendations, but I am a nerd. So I'm just going to throw out some, some recommendations. Uh, Right now I am hung up on the work of Cantalube. I, I only just discovered him, um, so I don't actually remember his first name. Uh, he was a French composer, uh, mostly active in the 20s and the 30s, and he has a um, uh, a really, really long song cycle called um, Songs of the Alverne, and they're in Occitan, um, the language of the Alverne in France. And uh, they're his own orchestral arrangements of classic Occitanian folk songs, and it's um, in particular the second one um, by Lero, is just overwhelmingly beautiful. It's l- orchestrally lush, the melody is very simple and relatable, uh, and um, oftentimes impeccably sung. And um, I just, I just can't stop listening to it. I have, when we th- think about music opening up spaces or giving us an encounter, I just disappear into some sort of fairyland when I listen to it. And uh, yeah, um, in general terms, listen listen to things that enchant you that, it, that excite your sense of wonder and adventure and and passion and romance. Uh, these are these are not these, these are not as respected qualities as they used to be and um, finding music. And for me, that's rich orchestral music with a lyrical backbone that's the ticket <laughs> oh and another one in a divergent direction um, Sarah Vaughn uh, this is this is a, an old record old record um, Sarah Vaughn sings the Gershwin songbook uh, is um you know it's not quite jazz it's not quite pop um, rich orchestration with some legendary songs and one of the best jazz vocalists of the 20th century um, those <laughs> those are some wonderful doorways into an enchanted musicality.
0: Here's a bit of backstage information about how I write these outro notes. The podcast episodes are recorded several months in advance, as you may have noticed. And I like that this allows me time to really let what the guests said and our conversation really sink in. Usually if I let some time pass something will click and then I'll know what to talk about in the outro notes. Obviously in this episode there's a very interesting theme of the trail of music, the path, walking the path of music. This episode, however, must be released quickly after having recorded it because the grant that Tim is attempting to get, which will be helped by him getting votes at the link provided in the show notes, will stop taking votes February 21. So I'm going to outsource these outro notes to the listenership a little bit and ask, what you think about walking the trail of music.